0: On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are going to be talking about Hamilton's new arena, if such a thing actually happens. A report is going before a Hamilton council on Wednesday to begin the process of figuring out what to do either with First Ontario Centre or a new place. But the biggest question is, if a new place is built, where in the city should it be built? There are some who say it must be downtown. Others say, no, we're willing to look anywhere if a proposal makes sense. Councillor Esther Pauls will join us to talk about her position on this one also. And it ties in, sort of, in a weird kind of way. We'll be chatting with David Schultz. who used to be right for the Globe and Mail, wrote a book called Hockey Fight in Canada about Roger's $5.2 billion rights purchase for the NHL six years ago. How's that working out? How's that working out six years later? There are signs that there may be trouble in paradise, but how is that working out? And does it turn out that that was a good idea halfway through that contract? We will talk about it.
1: Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML.
0: The men and women who make up City Council back at work today, they are back in their first meetings and they will have more tomorrow. And boy, tomorrow, first hour of the show today is a lot going to be about that. But we're going to start with this because it comes up at City Council meeting tomorrow. I hope you were listening last week. I hope you were with us. I understand if you weren't. People were on holidays. So we'll backtrack a little. There is going to be, There are going to be two documents coming before Council's General Issues Committee meeting tomorrow. One of them is a report by Ernst & Young, which was commissioned to look into what to do with Hamilton's arena situation. Keep First Ontario Centre, build a new one, whatever else. Uh, they are proposing building a 10,000-seat arena somewhere, a brand new one, because it'll save the city money in the long run. The other report, which is actually a proposal from the owner of the Bulldogs, unrelated but similar, is coming forward to say the owner of the Bulldogs would like to be part of building a new arena at Lime Ridge Mall. Again, you heard me talking about it last week. If you were tuned in with Glenn Norton, the director of economic development and that owner of the Bulldogs, Michael Anlauer. Now, this is where this gets interesting because the report that the, the first report, the one by Ernst and Young, was specifically tasked with using the downtown as the location. Downtown was exclusively where the study was supposed to be. And as a result, there are some on council who say, you know what? Any new arena, especially that the city may be putting money into, has got to be downtown. No question, non-starter if it's not downtown, must be in the core. There are others, however, who are saying, wait a second, must it? One of those who has very publicly asked that question is Councillor Esther Pauls of Ward 7, who joins me now. Councillor Pauls, thanks for doing this today.
2: Well, thank you for having me, Scott.
0: Uh, let, let's go back to this report for a second. And for those who want to, it's online. It's a, it's a little dense. It's 130 pages, and it's not exactly um, light bathroom reading. No. No. Um, <laughs> It seems to suggest that the city is going to have to spend money on an arena, new or maintaining First Ontario Centre. There is going to have to be money spent one way or the other. The option of not spending any any taxpayers' dollars seems to be absent from this report. Is that your understanding?
2: My understanding is that, and not only that, the option really is not to fix what we have, I don't think. Uh, I think the option better is to rebuild. And the reason is because uh, it it does cost quite a bit to keep it up and it's no secret that we would have to spend a lot of money to fix it. So I think those are the options. In the meat of the context, uh, we'll discuss that. But yes, uh, that's my understanding.
0: And and I'm going to reiterate it just because I know there are people, I've had people since last week when I wrote a piece and when we talked about it, say, look, we don't want to spend money on an arena. This is not important in the city. And the problem is the report suggests there is no option not to spend money. The First Ontario Centre is getting old. So it's either build new or spend a lot of money and both are going to cost money or build or fix up First Ontario Centre. So I, I guess the other option, uh, Councillor Paul's, would be to just shut down First Ontario Centre altogether. I suppose that that's not well, in the report, but that would be well, the only other option.
2: That's right. And uh, everybody knows there, there's just three options, you know, just keep it, fix it or sell it. So those are probably the options. And the thing is, our city needs to decide what option we're going to take, and that's what we're going to talk about. And obviously, there's going to be money spent. You're right.
0: Now, this report, when it was commissioned by Ernst & Young, it was done as part of the downtown strategic plan, I think is the proper name for this. And so the yeah. the authors of this study, the analysts who looked at this, Ernst & Young, only looked at this as far as what it would mean in the downtown. You are taking the position, though, as I understand it, that if there is a proposal that makes some kind of sense, that why should we exclude? Why should we exclude all of the parts of town? Is that fair,
2: Scott? That is very fair. <laughs> you know, it's funny because it's unsolicited. It says that we're going to receive a report that's unsolicited, but really we've been talking about this for years. It's been actually four years that been talking about where to put the, the arena. And as you know, I heard the, you talk to Michael. Um, the bulldog owner that he prefers uh prefers up the mountain and he's willing to put money in it so it's foolish for us not to look at it that's all i say council need to look at the proposal on the mountain as well so, now, so that, it's on it, the mountain i mean if it's on uh, downtown fine but we need to look what uh, michael uh and is proposing
0: so you're not excluding the downtown you're not now fighting only for the mountain
2: Oh, I'm not. Listen, I'm not excluding anything. As a good business person, Scott, you look at all options. You put him on the table. You look the mountain. You look down the uh, downtown. You look everywhere, and then you say, "Hey, that's the best place to put it." You know, I've had business. I've had an insurance company. We had runners there. We look where the best position is we don't just say one area only so i'm not excluding downtown but i'm including looking up the mountain as well both ways we look at it and then what fits the best that's what we're going to go for
1: you're listening to the scott radley show podcast on 900 chml
0: we're with a new arena Or revitalizing First Ontario Centre, those are the options, the main options in a report that's coming before the Council General Issues Committee tomorrow, along with a proposal by the owner of the Bulldogs to be part of a brand new arena, 10,000 seats, give or take, up at Lime Ridge Mall. Councillor Esther Pauls is a Ward Seven Councillor. She uh, is, I think, going to be bringing forward a motion. At least I've heard yeah. that would raise mm-hmm. the issue of broadening the search, or at least opening the door to not just being in the downtown. And Esther, here, this is this this is what I heard on the weekend, and I've heard this many times because the LRT debate was is mm-hmm. is was a thing. The stadium, people say, why does everything, every big project, why is it that council insists that it must be downtown? Now, I don't think that's true, but does it sometimes seem that way to you?
2: Sometimes it does. I want to say, I've talked to people and say that we are a one city. We cannot always say downtown, downtown, oh, the mountain, the mountain. It seems like we're all this concentrating. I just want to encourage council to remain open-minded about working on the mountain as part of the option i'm not saying no to downtown because i want to work for the city i do not want to work just for the mountain or just downtown so i just want them to be open-minded look at it where do we get a private sector giving us money towards it we would save so much taxpayers uh, money, if we get money from I heard uh, him say that he could pay up to thirty five forty million, whatever it costs that 's a lot that 's not peanuts uh, uh, compared to what it's going to cost us if he 's willing to put in more than half uh, listen it's it 's no option. we have to look at it and uh, and you know what when I heard him talk to you, he was so kind, he also said i 'll look downtown, but give me an opportunity to show you what I can do on the mountain. So, so
0: have you seen, have you seen the proposal yet? It's a confidential proposal, but have yes, you seen I it yet? I
2: have it right in front of me. I have it right in front of me, you know. So
0: just, from your perspective then, and mm-hmm. we, you can't talk about it, I understand right. that I'm not trying to get right. you fired or charged <laughs> no. or something, but but when you read it on first blush, when you look at it, is it a proposal that has merit or do you look at it and say, ah, oh, there's something here, but there's going to be some problems?
2: You know what? I look at it and it's, it's very good. Uh, the work uh, that uh, Ryan McHugh did and Glenn Norton and uh, Ray the, the, it fa- it's fabulous. The only thing I'm going to say is when I put the mountain and uh, when I put the motion in, I would love to include the mountain because then we have options. This is a good proposal uh, if we go one way. There's three proposals. If we take the one, it's good. But let's put the other one. Let's do the private sector. What they're willing to do with it too. So I'm not saying, honestly. I told, I called on my counselors. I said, listen, I'm not saying no to downtown. But let's look at what the proposal is for the mountain as well. Let's see what we can do. And you know what? I heard over and over people saying how excited they would be if we could consider the mountain. I have people even calling me and people are saying, can you imagine uh, uh, the arena on the mountain, the Bulldog? There was a survey, I think, that said that they would get 20 to 50% more people coming to the game. Because, what a, you know,
0: And that's, that's what's in the report. Now, what about the idea, and I've heard from a number of councillors that say, yes, but council has already voted on this report and it's already voted that a new arena be, as part of the entertainment district would have to be downtown, which, if I understand correctly, means there would have to be another vote with a two-thirds majority to undo right. that. can you? And, and we have more downtown or more old city councillors than suburban councillors. Can you see a situation where we would have enough councillors flipping or turning around or opening their eyes to this that would say, yeah, we can pass a motion like that?
2: I, I believe that we will pass the motion to look at it because we just, you know what? Uh, Michael Annwood deserves for us, council, to look at it. We have passed them to give us a proposal. I met with the staff. I met with uh, uh, CF Limeridge. We met with Michael. We met with the mayor in April. And we asked them, give us a proposal. Give us a proposal. Now he comes with a proposal and we're going to say we're not going to look at it? It doesn't make sense to me. So I don't know if I'm breaking any rules here. I'm just saying, I'm saying he's given us a proposal. We have the EY for the downtown. That's great. Let's staff... Look at the mountain as well, and then with good conscience, every counselor can look at it and say, "Hey, this makes sense downtown. No, it makes sense up the mountain." Then we have a better decision to make. That's all I'm asking, council And I I talked to a few of them. I talked to quite a few of them actually, and uh, they're uh, they're gonna. I, I hope they're they're gonna vote. that we'll look at it, and that's all I'm asking.
0: Ward Seven Councilor Esther Pauls, really appreciate you taking the time today. Thanks for doing this.
2: Thank you, Scott, <laughs> and you'll know all about it tomorrow.
0: <laughs> I We will look forward to it. Uh, again, that is Ward 7 Councillor Esther Pauls. Look, it's it's an interesting one because we've been down this road a couple times, not with an arena. I don't need to remind you of what the big fights have been on council in recent years with the LRT in the stadium, really hoping that's not this, but it you get the sense that there are already some positions that have dug in a little bit which makes you wonder what tomorrow is going to be. I'm going to be so interested to see when Councillor Pauls brings forward a proposal to say, look, let's investigate the possibility of this not being downtown. Not to say it won't be downtown, but let's investigate. It'd be really interesting to see how that vote goes, if there's any traction there. If the councillors are saying to her, apparently, what they say when it comes to casting a vote, we will see.
1: You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: I want to stay with city council for a few moments here. And I want to hear from you because Andrew Dreschel had a piece in the spec and it's a great piece and it's a really important piece and it is a thought provoking piece and it's a troubling piece. And it's all those things because what the story is, if you didn't read it, is a guy named Paul Fromm, who some of you are going to be familiar with the name. Some of you have never heard the name before. Andrew describes him. This is the words, an avowed white nationalist and infamous far right activist. Pretty much paints your picture right there. Uh, He wants to come and speak. He wants to be a delegate. He wants to have a delegation in front of City Hall and have his five minutes to speak, specifically about after a summer with a bunch of different issues with LGBTQ and hate issues and other things, he wants to come and speak to the city about its limits that it's putting, he says, on free speech. This is leading to a real debate in council. Do we allow someone, again, using Andrew's description, an avowed white nationalist, an infamous far right activist. Do we allow someone like that to come and speak in council? Do we give a platform, a pedestal, a microphone to a person like that? And of course, this is now leading some to say, no, we don't want to hear from someone like that. Others are saying, you know, to slippery slope. It's a dangerous thing if you're going to start doing that. And I got to be honest with you, I don't agree. With much of what I've heard from Mr. Fromm, I have not studied all of his thoughts. I don't, but much of what I've heard of what he stands for, I disagree with. And I disagree with it pretty vigorously. However, however, I find it really difficult to get into a position now where our city council, is taking the position that they are going to allow or, dis- or disallow someone to come and speak at a public forum in a public space, based on the fact that they disagree with someone's point of view. There, there are lo- limits. Of course, there are limits. Well, let me back up for one second here because Paul Fromm ran for council last time. Don't know if you know that. Paul Fromm ran for council. He got I don't know several hundred votes. He was allowed to run for council by our laws. He was allowed to run for council and had he won and he wasn't close to winning, but had he won, he would have been fully entitled to speak at council every single day that there was a council meeting. There's no law that would have stopped him. And here's the issue. I get very worried when I start to hear politicians and other people start to debate who we will listen to and not even listen to, because I know that at times you're going to hear somebody, but not listen. But I get very concerned when we start to have the idea of who are we going to not permit to stand in a public place and speak. And it doesn't mean that you agree with them. In fact, here's the thing. If you believe that what someone has to say is so horrendous and so egregiously wrong and something that is bound to cause people to be upset and cause people to disagree vigorously. I would argue the way to win the battle is not to shut them up and not to ban them from speaking and essentially turn them into a martyr. You let them speak. You let them hang themselves by their own words. If he gets up in front of council and says something that is wildly offensive and wildly egregious, now the city has heard what he's had to say and can make a judgment on anything future that he has to say. This is how you win a debate. This is how you win an argument on philosophy and position and right and wrong. You don't silence people. You let them lose the argument by themselves with their own words. And somehow we have gotten confused in our society, not just here in the city. We've somehow become confused and many people have Started to believe that there is some sort of right enshrined in our Charter of Rights that guarantees that you will never be offended by anybody ever. And if you ever are offended, you have recourse to shut that person down. That doesn't exist. There are hate laws. Absolutely, there are. There are absolutely hate laws, but there is no anti offense law. And again, I go back to my point. If this person were to get up in front of city council and start spewing what is categorized as hate under the criminal code, how better to charge and arrest him and prosecute him than by, then by having the videotape of him in council on TV saying these things. This is This doesn't seem to me to be a difficult decision. This doesn't seem to me to be difficult. If we're worried about offending someone, I'm sorry, someone is always going to be offended by everything. We can't go through all of our decision-making by worrying about offending somebody. If we're worried about him speaking and that he says something that somebody finds offensive and, and someone else might hear this and be inspired to follow along behind him. Well, uh, uh, for decades we have had things in Hollywood and on TV and in movies and everything else that are horrible violence and sex and all kinds of other things that are way over the line. And what do we hear every single time? Well, no one is going to imitate that. You're just seeing something. No one So if we are now taking the position that hearing somebody once is going to make them follow it, there's an awful lot we've got to be careful of in entertainment. That's all I'm saying. I'm not arguing for a censorship of entertainment because the argument always is, no, nobody follows that stuff. They see it and they just see it. They don't. No killer has ever imitated something they've seen in the movies. That's always the line, right? I just look at this and I say, let the man speak. And if he hangs himself by his own words, so be it. So be it. Let the guy speak. Don't censor. Let him show himself to be offensive, if that's what he is. Let him show himself to lose the argument. But I want to hear from you. We're going to take a break, and then I want to come back. I want to hear from you, whether you think, and you're welcome to disagree with me, 905 645 or star 9900. Would you be in favor, even if you vigorously disagree with his point of view, as I do on many things that he says, would you be in favor of still letting him speak for his five minutes, not endlessly? Or would you say, nope, what he says is too offensive. We should not give any kind of platform and the city should make a decision and not let this guy come in front of city council. I'm open to hear you on either side.
1: You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: We are talking about council is going to be debating tomorrow whether to allow a guy described as an avowed white nationalist, an infamous far-right activist to be a delegate, to be a delegation at city council, whether to allow him to get up and have his five minutes in front of council. And some councillors apparently are, are thinking, no, we're not going to allow this. We don't want to give this man a platform. Others uh, have not made their statement, their positions entirely clear yet. That'll come up tomorrow. But what I'm saying is, if someone has no leg to stand on, if their position, if we believe their position, and many things that I've heard this person has said, I disagree with very strongly. But if that's the case, my position is you don't censor them. You don't make them a person of mystery that somehow people are going to go, huh, I wonder what that guy has said. You let them get up, you let them have them say, and if what they're saying is so egregiously ridiculous... And offensive, that, when the light of day is shone upon it, that's how you win the case against them. That's how you win the debate against them, by allowing them to sync themselves with their own words. But I want to know what you think. Should we allow someone who we disagree with, who may say things that are wildly offensive, I don't know what he would say, but who has in the past taken positions many people would consider offensive, should we allow that person to stand in city council and city hall and give a speech? Or should we say, nope, not allowed? I am open to hearing either point of view, 905-645-3221, star 9900. Mikey is up first today. Mikey, how are you?
3: I'm fine, sir. I agree with you 120%. The tongue is one of the most powerful things that we have, and anybody has a right to stand up on a soapbox and tell everybody else's opinion. Let the guy hang himself or whatever he's going to do. If he speaks with a forked tongue, that's good for him. We know.
0: Well, and if he gets up, and, and I think one of the concerns is that he would say something very hateful. I think that's one of the things Counselor may be well, afraid all of.
3: All said, charge the guy. It, that's right. No, there's no censorship. Everybody has a right to speak. Everybody has the right to write down something they want to write. What are you censoring us for?
0: Mikey, I, Mikey I appreciate it. Like, Thank you. Have as, a good night. As Mikey just says, and I said it earlier, if he gets up, if the concern is that he would say something wildly offensive... The fact that he would say it in front of city council, where there are TV cameras rolling, where there are reporters listening to every word, if you say something that is hateful and it falls under the criminal code version of that, it's very easy then with tons of evidence to charge this person. If he doesn't fall into the category of hate, but says something that would be wildly offensive it's very easy to listen, and I think the majority of people who would hear this would say, yeah, hmm, no, I'm not going to follow down that path. You let sunlight illuminate what the words and thoughts are. Don't keep it in the darkness. Put it in the sunlight and let people decide for themselves. Frank is up next. Frank, how are you? I'm
4: quite well, thanks, uh, Scott. Uh, the What come, immediately comes to my mind is this a ploy for the status quo to have this guy stand out in the open and hang himself and deliberately let him do that, or is this an actual subjective um, counsel that wants to just hear what he's got to say? And aside from that, uh, uh, Scott, we'd like to hear the other side of all stories, too. Why should one person be able to get up and say all those things when somebody else can come up and say, why we don't agree with that, whatever he says?
0: Well, Frank, you I mean, look, the, you raise an interesting point, because what? who becomes the arbiter? So let's say that that this guy on the far right... That council says, you know what? What he says is offensive, and we can't let him get up and speak because that is too dangerous. Do we apply the same prism and the same guidelines for someone who's on the far left? Do we do that? And okay, then, then and then, where is answer. that line?
4: Here's your answer, Scott. It's all the more reason why we shouldn't. Now, I haven't been to the council for many years. They they have a gallery. Now, back many years ago, people in the gallery could have, provided it was orderly, could have a chance to speak their piece all of a sudden we're going to let somebody stand out in front of everybody uh, and, and recite things that we feel now, and we know that even from our own uh, formalities of decency, do not believe in that kind of a white supremacy in any shape, way, or form. So, you know, it's almost like asking somebody to come up and, t- and start talking about uh, why Nazis are better than they were before. And so, I just if- don't think we should get this thing to permeate any further. Uh, let the guy fall in his own place. Don't give him. Don't give him the right to to uh, extend his ego because that's all he's doing.
0: Frank, I thank you for the call. I thank I, so. Frank would say no. Don't let him extend his ego. Don't let him have that platform. Okay. I would argue with Frank that letting him get up there, if he was going to say something like that, and he's—I don't know that he's going to say Nazis are better. I don't. I'm not going to put words in his mouth or whatever Frank would say as an example. That if somebody got up and said that that would dimin- That would defeat them immediately in the eyes of the public. Rather than having someone else say what someone else was going to say, you let them say it themselves and you let them sink themselves. And as I said a moment ago, so now you say, okay, we're not going to have anybody on the far right because what they say may be considered too dangerous for ears to hear. I think we're smarter than that. I think we're more discriminating than that. I think we're able to wade through this stuff better than that. I give us more credit. But then you have to apply the same thing to those on the far left. And then the decision becomes, or the question becomes, well, what cat, what falls as far, where, where is far left? Where is far, right? where does that line move? And it starts to, you know, it becomes a moving target. It becomes too difficult. What we would be getting into is council. Then having to spend half their time deciding whether someone coming in is fitting in properly. Too much time would be spent on it. Let the people talk. Let them have their say, and we can judge them with what they say with their words. If it's hateful, it's hateful. You deal with that. That's a different thing. But man, don't, let's not get into the censorship business. Let's not get into the censorship business. Even if we vigorously disagree with what they have to say.
1: You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: You may have noticed over the past number of weeks, Rogers, the media company among cell phone, all the rest, uh, you know, they have a big media part of their business and they have unloaded some big, big names from that division. Bob McCowan, Nick Kiprios, John Shannon, Doug McLean, others. And very few people believe that a whole bunch of veteran broadcasters with years and years and years in the business have just decided suddenly, spontaneously to move on. The belief is, and this is why this becomes a story, the belief is that the massive NHL deal that Roger signed six years ago, five point something billion dollars, is behind this, that it's now proving onerous and the company is having to make some decisions. Well, it's an interesting story because... Of the TV component, because of the hockey component, we do live in Canada, we watch hockey, I think we watch hockey, maybe that's the problem, not enough of us are watching hockey. Uh, David Schultz is the author of Hockey Fight in Canada, the big media face-off over the NHL. It's a great book about how Rogers ended up with the TV rights. Uh, he joins us now. David, how are you tonight? I'm good, thanks. Excellent. Glad to have you along. Um, all these guys, these big name guys for Rogers, who everybody saw when they tuned in for hockey, they did not just get up and leave of their own volition, did they?
3: No, I would say probably none of them did. Uh, you know, they this this was a well, I wouldn't call it a house cleaning. It was basically uh, you know these guys are paying the price for mistakes that were made by uh, upper management uh, six years ago when. Um, you know, they paid 5.2 billion for the uh, for the NHL national broadcast rights.
0: You are drawing a direct line, a straight line between that deal and what's happening now.
3: Oh, I, I you know, I have no doubt uh, in my mind, anyway, that yeah, that's uh, that's the only reason this happened. Um, now, the problem here is basically. Rogers is a public company, and in public companies, every division has to pull its weight. You know, um, a lot of people would say, "Well, Rogers Media, which is the company, the division of Rogers that that owns all these rights uh, for Hockey Night in Canada and and the rest of it, um, their tribulations are just a drop in the bucket to the overall health of Rogers Communications, which is a multi-billion-dollar company." but in a in a public company uh the share price is everything and so every division has to pull its own weight and that means every quarter every 3 months in the financial year you start from zero again it doesn't really matter how good you were the previous quarter you start over and you have to show that uh you know things are great in in your little area of the company and you know it doesn't matter how much overall profit the company's turning in these kind of thing uh, companies um, if you're not if you're not making your contribution, they come down on you and that's basically what's happening here you're, and there's a whole bunch of extenuating circumstances of course which we can get into but.
0: well your book uh, again it's called Hockey Fight in Canada. I would encourage people to read it it's a great read and I'm not going to ask you to recap s- the recant the whole book in the no, time they we have all
3: run to Amazon they and, should
0: uh, <laughs> they should but take <laughs> a minute we're or go t- and, and buy it online and again you can't give the whole book here but take a minute or two for those who aren't familiar with the background if you can and just sort of explain because i mean in very brief terms if you were giving the reader's digest version of your book how rogers ended up paying 5.2 billion dollars for the tv rights
3: well basically it was because keith pelly and you know his motives were uh were fairly uh, pure or sound or whatever you want to say and he convinced everyone else around him, including Scott Moore, who was president of Sportsnet at the time. Keith Pelley, by the way, was president of uh, Rogers Media back in 2013. And he convinced the CEO of Rogers Communications, Nadir Muhammad, and also Edward Rogers and the Rogers family, that this, you know, they wanted to make a big splash by getting the NHL national rights, which included Hockey Night in Canada, and win them away from from Bell Canada, which owns TSN and, and CTV. They were the only real competition. And the reason they wanted to do that is because their network, Sportsnet, had always been number two to TSN ever since Sportsnet came along in 1998. And they saw this as a long-term way to become number one. And so, you know, they they basically paid a little more than Bell offered. Five, they both essentially offered five point two billion dollars, but Sportsnet, in the end, was telling the NHL what it wanted to hear as far as the broadcasts go. So they paid a few million dollars more and got the package. But the and the idea was that this would make Sportsnet the number one sports cable network in Canada which it hadn't been uh, you know uh, aside from the odd you know monthly ratings period at that time and you know what as far as that goes they did that the problem was and i don't think anyone saw this coming in and and i'm sure uh Scott Moore and Keith Pelly and Nadir Muhammad, you know any any number of executives would if you tied them down and fed them true serum, they would probably tell you, you know, we got screwed over by the Canadian NHL teams. And it's tough to argue that one because after they got the contract, yeah, it was a record amount of money, $5.2 billion. They paid over 12 years. That's a huge amount of money. And the, the gamble was that the Canadian teams would get better, specifically the Toronto Maple Leafs. and, it just didn't happen fat, a, fast enough or sustained enough to boost the ratings enough that they would make money on it. I mean, here they are all pretty much halfway through the deal, and the Leafs, not necessarily for a fault of their own. Nobody can argue that you know the Leafs aren't bad, way better than they were in 2013. The only problem is they got the bad luck to play in the vest division in hockey, so They can't get out of the first round, and and that kills the ratings (laughs) because the Leafs, they're in the biggest market in television market in Canada, so they drive the ratings. The Edmonton Oilers, there were high hopes for them and Connor Connor McDavid, and that hasn't happened. Um, The rest of the Canadian teams have only sporadically been good. So they're just getting killed in the playoff ratings which is where you know you make your money
0: well we saw that, that with the jays what, right you know,
3: we're seeing right now with nick kiprios leaving john shannon the latest round bob mccown we this is the fallout from all of
0: that and we saw that with the jays when you talk about the playoffs when the jays were yeah. great and they got into the playoffs they were having a million people a game plus who were oh, tuning yeah. in and,
3: and when that originally happened uh, what back in 2015 that was totally unexpected and there were a couple of years there, 2015 and 16, where everything was looking kind of rosy for Rogers, right? And then it all sort of fell apart, uh, you know, outside of the you know the Leafs losing the first round. None of the other Canadian teams picked up the slack. Uh, the Winnipeg Jets, God bless them, got to the Western Conference Final a couple of years ago, but they couldn't sustain it either. And so, you know, it just... Uh, it just didn't happen for them.
0: David, and, I, I don't, I mean, $5 billion, and, and I'll, you, know, so you and I will probably never understand what that really means, but that sounds like a big number for almost any sports contract, short of NFL, I guess, or Major League Baseball. That sounds like a huge number even in the States, let alone in a country like Canada that's so much smaller.
3: Well, if you compare it to the NFL or... You know, even the NBA and and Major League Baseball—that's pretty small. Pure, sure, that number, really. <laughs> yeah. You know, the NFL contract is. Oh uh, gosh, I don't know. They're, they're around forty billion dollars total. It's it's just an unbelievable number. But yeah, it you know it on in relative terms, it took the NHL into those kind of leagues, and and the gamble was uh, that they would figure out ways of capitalizing on other revenue, which hasn't quite happened yet. Uh, you know, YouTube highlights and whatever, you know, the the millennials are watching. And, you know, just the simple fact is, the Canadian teams didn't do very well overall in the last six years, and that's just killing them. And that, in turn, means these, these management turns around and starts picking off... Um, the higher paid broadcast guys, which, I mean, to me, it's kind of ridiculous. You know, I mean, even the best paid guys among them, the Nick Kiprios and and those guys, their salaries aren't, you know, aren't deadly, but they just want to shave dollars here and there where they can. And, uh, you know, I think this has been in the works for quite some time. Um, I think you can go back and and to when Scott Moore, the president of Sportsnet, resigned, uh, was it late last year? Um, and there's a lot of people at Sportsnet who believe. I I don't think Scott Moore was was pushed out, um, but there's a lot of people who believe, and and I've come to feel the same way, is that Scott Moore knew what was going to happen, uh, you know, as a result of, of the ratings troubles, and and he knew there were people going to get, you know, were going to be fired, people like Kiprios and Bob McCown and John Shannon. And that's really not what Scott Moore wanted to do, was to start firing those people. But if he'd have hung around, he'd have been the guy who had to do it. And uh, I I think, and, and I say this, you know, Scott Moore has never said that uh, this is why he left. Scott always said he wanted to move on to new challenges, and he was... Um, he thought it was time to move on. But a lot of people at Sportsnet believe that Scott left because he just didn't want to be the guy that had to start firing people because it was so unfair. And, uh, you know, but here we are. All all these really good broadcasters are being fired.
0: All these broadcast, And what's interesting is when you talk about $5 billion, it wasn't really just that. I mean, it was there were millions more spent on not only in production because they did a lot of things early on, but they went out of their way at the beginning of this contract to snatch up as many big name people. I mean, there was a big war going on between the two sides to grab the big name people.
3: Oh Uh, yeah. I mean, because they were so optimistic, they were, you know, they they had won this at the time, what they thought was a great victory. And so, you know, they were, the sky was the limit and, and that you know, section of the company was allowed to spend all kinds of money. Yeah, I mean, they were uh, they were doing things like making these big fancy presentations that cost all kinds of money. They were having a company get-togethers, you know, to plan how they're going to cover or or do the broadcasts, and they were, you know, no expense was spared. And and within two years, people were, you know. And then when I say two years, this goes back to, I think, 2016 was the, the first bloodbath when they laid off a whole bunch of people. Um, you know, that that just very quickly came and, uh, you know, hit them hard. And then there was a couple of years there where things didn't look too bad, especially, you know, when the leaves got better, but it wasn't sustainable. And, and so now we're seeing the next round of fallout and i just think it's a very short-sighted way of doing things uh you know let's face it you and i are in a business the newspapers or were in my case i'm i'm retired now but where you know uh for reasons beyond our control the revenue dried up and so every you know the management of newspapers thought the way to uh success was to cut back so we were, yeah, we were, <laughs> we were in an odd business that thought, oh, well, the best thing to do is is diminish your product. And, that and you know, that's ex- basically what Sportsnet's doing. And, uh, it's ju- you know, it's just a head shaker.
0: Was, was this always then a massive risk that was taken, or was this a good risk that just happened to fall on a bad break that the, the dice came up on the wrong numbers?
3: Yeah, I, you know, I... I still um, I still sort of fall on the side of you know it's it, it I suppose if I were one of those three guys uh, Keith Pelly, Scott Moore Nir, Nadir Mohammad I might have done it too because TSN Bell was willing to pay the same amount of money like there's no shortage of TSN or Bell executives now who'll who'll say to you oh that's the luckiest thing that ever happened to us is that we didn't get that contract and have to pay that money. Well, yeah, that's true but you know you still were willing to pay that you know you were willing to pay up basically the same money. So you know, I really can't say that it was a terrible decision. I think there have been a lot of bad decisions made in the wake of it. Basically, you know, a lot of them, these layoffs. But um, I, I, I think what happened, you know, with the Canadian teams collectively really just sort of falling apart at the same time. That's something that. Yeah, I don't think anybody could see happening. Because people tend to forget when Rogers signed that deal back in 2013, the Leafs were considered, uh, and this is still in the, you know, basically the Brian Burke era. He got fired right at the start of that. They were considered to be a team on the rise because they had just taken the Boston Bruins to seven games uh and and came within you know 20 minutes of a huge upset. They blew it all in the third period in loss and lost in overtime. But this, even despite that, people still thought the Leafs after that season in 2013 were going to get better. And of course, they didn't. You remember the the old 18-wheeler falling off the cliff? But it wasn't just the Leafs; it was everybody else kind of followed them off the cliff. The other uh, the other six Canadian teams. So. Um, yeah, it you know, it was a hell of a gamble when you're talking that kind of money. It's huge. But I could certainly see lots of reasons why it made sense at the time.
0: Just got a couple of minutes left with David Schultz. Um it, it does make me think though that there's gonna be some sort of a cautionary tale that Canadian sports networks, Canadian networks are going to look at from this. Nobody else is gonna to wanna to dive right back into a situation like this. And this is massively bigger money. Then we would talk about with say TSN and the CFL, but it makes me wonder if this does affect negotiations for rights with other Canadian networks, with other sporting entities that they are going to look at this and say, we got to be a little more cautious and a little more careful or or is this just a one off and you say, no, th- everything else is going to be the same?
3: No, I think you know every everything that happens in in businesses and and in, especially in businesses for professional sport. As a you know, in effect, there's a fallout, and yeah, I do, because l- heading into uh, that deal, that five-point-billion-dollar deal in 2013, rights fees even for the CFL were just exploding, because um, live sports was resistant to all of the changes that were affecting the broadcast injury- industry, i.e., you know decreasing viewers because there's so many other choices out there mostly streaming services like netflix and you know the the live sports was resistant to that because let's face it you know you could tape a you know you can record a game and try and watch it later but there's so much media out there now with the proliferate proliferation of social media good luck trying not to learn (laughs) score before you get home at 2 a.m to replay the game right so, you know, people tend to sit down, even the millennials, uh, the, you know, to to sit down and watch live sports. And that's why even in the face of declining audiences that the, the fees for these sports packages were going up. So now that we've kind of hit this wall, um, yeah, I can see it going the other way where when the CFL, it's time to re-up, they're going to say, now, wait a minute, you know. Um, Things didn't work out so well here, and uh, we just don't have the money. And, in the, by the way, in the case of the CFL, I, I just don't see a lot of uh, competition for their rights. Like, it's probably going to be TSN and maybe a modest bid from the CBC, and that's it. I, I certainly, in the wake of all these guys getting fired, I don't see... Sportsnet jumping in to offer the CFL a, you know a huge amount of money so uh so yeah I I I mean I I see this stuff uh, it's all going to be uh, you know when when uh, rising contracts raise everybody's boat Lowering contracts, I think, kind of lowers everybody's boat, too. It it all sort of works in relation.
0: Uh, Last thing, Dave, before we let you go. Uh, I wonder what this means for the NHL long term, because six years from now, it seems to me, and you can tell me that you disagree, but it seems to me unlikely that Sportsnet or TSN is going to offer up another $5.2 billion deal. Maybe they will. But... NHL salary cap numbers are generated by revenues, and if the number goes way down, this doesn't just have an effect on the TV numbers. This has an effect on what's on the ice. This this is going to trickle down and have an effect all through the league.
3: Yeah, it, it could well do it, but the thing is, this was such a long deal, 12 years. we still got six years to go. A lot can happen in six years. And uh, I remember in the previous nhl deals partway through them guys saying oh there's no way they're going to pay this again and then even two or three years later oh yeah they were going to pay that and more so
0: leafs win a cup and suddenly we're talking a different story
3: i mean as we are sitting here talking today yeah it it would make sense to say maybe they won't re-up for the same kind of money but if the leafs continue on their current path And even better, say the Edmonton Oilers suddenly, you know, figure things out. Um, Trust me, for the last six years, Rogers executives have been praying for an (laughs) Edmonton-Toronto Stanley Cup (laughs) final. And barring that, uh, you know, a Winnipeg-Toronto or, you know, any Canadian, all-Canadian Cup final. And that could well happen. And if it does, hey, everybody's going to say, you know, what trouble...
0: That is David Schultz, author of Hockey Fight in Canada. It's on Amazon. It's a terrific book if you're interested in this stuff. And, I mean, honestly, who isn't? It's some great behind-the-scenes stories here. Go grab it. Go read it. Uh, David, really appreciate the time today. Thanks for doing this.
3: Well, you're quite welcome, Scott. It was my pleasure.
0: Uh, Again, Hockey Fight in Canada. It's the story of how Sportsnet got the NHL. Should have asked David if he's going to do an epilogue chapter here with what's going on since because he probably could. Um, but it's fascinating stuff. All the machinations going on behind the scenes when you put down $5.2 billion into hockey. Even in Canada, that's a lot of dope.
1: The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML.